<laughs> good morning, church family. It's so good to see your faces on a, a Martin Luther King weekend and a freezing one at that. So I just uh, celebrate that we all got out of bed, defrosted everything, defrosted our fingers and our toes. And, uh, and just being a part of your church family, it's beautiful. I'm Pastor Allison, if you haven't met me yet. Um, I love serving here at MRCC. It's such a beautiful thing. Uh, and I'm just here to give you us a couple of announcements this morning. Uh, first of all, winter camp is happening. I mean, we celebrate. We were, we were kind of uh, wondering if it was going to snow a ton. It was funny in the office this week because I was like, no, don't snow, don't snow. And everybody else was like, snow, snow. And I said, but we really want the kids to go to winter camp. And if it snows too much, the pass will close and they can't go. So we can celebrate that they made it to winter camp and Jesus is doing big things in their lives. Um, and I just want to encourage you to keep praying for it. Oh, yeah, you can clap for that for sure. <laughs> But I want to encourage us, keep praying for them. Everybody, you know that they're there and they're experiencing Jesus and, and a lot of amazing things are happening there. And kids will encounter Jesus, some of them, uh, the Holy Spirit in their heart for the first time. And I just pray over, we've been praying over them as a staff and we invite you to continue praying over them. They don't come back until tomorrow. Uh, so they still have a full day of camp ahead of them. Uh, but here on our campus, we have a number of things coming up. And uh, if you look at our website, just on the front page, anything that needs registration is right there. We have a women's conference that's coming up. We want to encourage you to sign up, participate in that. It's a great time to get away. They're heading over to Yakima uh, in March. And just a great opportunity for ladies to connect in that way. Uh, we have a kids conference coming up in February. That's the 9th and 10th coming. It's an overnight. We're going to stay the night right here at MRCC and then spend Saturday at the conference in Kent. Uh, so that'll be a blast, too. Um, all of that's on our website. All the information for that is right there as well. Um, and if you're new with us, uh, there's also a way to connect. There's even a little QR code on the back of your seat right there. You could just let us know that it's your first time. I promise we don't do anything kind of crazy. We just want to welcome you to, to our church family. And if there's any way we can pray for you or partner with you or be near to you, uh, let us know. That's what that form is for. Uh, for us to be able to just get to know you a little bit and uh, connect with you in some way. Um, but we got a lot of other things that are coming on. Can I tell you, next Sunday, we're going to have a pool party. Uh, everyone in this room is invited because you're all a part of the MRCC family. And we promise there will be some, uh, what do you call it, cannonball competitions and some belly flop competitions, absolutely. So uh, we always try and make it kind of fun that way. That's why you're all invited. Uh, definitely come and just join the fun. It'll be a lot of fun out at the pool next Sunday. And then I'm going to invite Pastor Dave up. Uh, he's going to talk to us a little bit about small groups. And as he's coming, I want to share about one that we're actually going to start on January 28th, which is just two Sundays away. We're going to start a group for families. We're calling it the Heritage Family Group for families that have kids uh, with all sorts of different things, whether it's an IEP or a special need or a medical diagnosis. You know, growing in family is hard enough, but if you have extra challenges like that, we want to create some support. We're just going to have lunch together every once in a while, and that's part of small group ministry, right? So we share a little bit more about that. Yeah. Good morning. So, you know, we're a big church. And one of the problems that we have is connecting and feeling connected. And so uh, two weeks ago when I was up here preaching, I talked about the importance of being part of a small group. It gives us a place to pray. It gives us a place to have fellowship. It gives us a place to be connected. Uh, we can grow in our, in our spiritual uh, walk in a way that is safe. And the environment creates uh, closeness bonding and all those kinds of things and so it's really important so we're doing a little bit of juggling the reason i'm up here 
is because myself, Brian Harden, and Rachel, that's my team, we are getting really aggressive about trying to build more small groups. And so if you're interested in being a leader, hosting one, or you just haven't been able to connect in any way, please come by the, the table out in the foyer. We want to talk to you. If you're in a group that, that we don't know that exists right now, come and tell us about your group. We, we want to be able to provide you with pastoral care, with prayer, with all the resources that you might need to keep your group going. And so we'll be out in the foyer between services. Come by and, and just chat with us. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Pastor Dave. And uh, he didn't mention, he forgot to mention also that there's a, a Husky Grief Support Group forming. And so if you want to be a part of that, you can be a part of that as well. But no, 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 just kidding. Uh, good times, good times. It's good to see you this morning, church. Bless you. Welcome you to Second Service. Welcome to everybody joining us online as well. We're thrilled to have you with us this morning. Cold, uh, wet today. You know, with the cold snap that we had this weekend, I was just amazed. We had somebody rear-ended the bus up on the pass because of the snow and ice, but it was very minor, kind of a fender bender. Nobody hurt, nothing hurt. Uh, but we had folks from the church here race up there to take care of things and make sure everybody got where they needed to be, and that was awesome. Yesterday, we had a pipe break down the hall in the oldest part of the church complex here, and I didn't even know about it. I just was told this morning that some folks from church came and repaired it and put it back together so we'd be ready for this morning. At six o'clock this morning, not only was the worship team here, but people were here spreading ice melt, taking care of everything so that you and I don't land on our backsides on the way in. And can we just appreciate all those people doing all that stuff? I mean, wow. Sometimes I feel like a hood ornament. I just hang out here and everybody else does everything this morning. But uh, uh, this morning, I do want to invite you uh, to kind of prepare your heart a little bit, because last week, last week was one of those kind of red letter Sundays when obviously the Holy Spirit was doing cool stuff. I heard about it all week and really speaking to us in a way that was warm and joyful and, and just kind of felt great. And there was that, that vibe all morning. There's over a thousand of us here last week, and God was really kind of giving us a warm fuzzy, if you will. Not to say that it wasn't real and concrete, but but this morning, church, can I let you know that he wants to do something a little different. This morning, he wants to challenge us about the fact that joy goes deeper than just feeling good. Can I say that? Real joy goes deeper than just feeling good. And this morning, as we begin a new six-week teaching series called Set Apart, talking about being different on purpose, we're going to explore the ways in which we, as the people of Jesus, are called to kind of swim upstream in our culture, to kind of go a different direction than maybe most are going. And that is an incredibly important part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're going to kind of explore over the next six weeks what that looks like. And this morning, I kind of want to set the tone for that. And let me begin by doing this. How much do you know about Abraham Lincoln? I mean, everybody knows his name, knows he was a president, so on. But I'm kind of an amateur historian. I've read a number of biographies of Lincoln, stories about that time in history. Maybe you're like me in that you're aware 
of his uniqueness in so many ways. And, and to me, he's a really fascinating guy for many reasons, but one sometimes stands out among all the rest, and that's this. Abraham Lincoln was a man in our history in a time of crisis and upheaval who understood how to be hated. Boy, there's an unpopular topic, right? Raise your hand if you're just looking forward to being hated. Go ahead. I mean, nobody is, right? And yet, there's a time for it. Every mother, every father understands, if you're a good one, that there's a time for it. There's time to tell your kids what they don't want to hear. There's a time to insist on what they don't want. Love understands that. Love knows that. Lincoln understood that about his time. He understood how to be hated. And, you know, I, I came across a website online that had a bunch of Abraham Lincolns on it, and a couple of them caught my attention. For example, today, Abraham Lincoln might put it this way. He said, uh, you know, haters going to hate, and he understood how that works, right? He was just okay with that. And once I got onto the website, I was checking out some other images. You can have a lot of fun with Photoshop. For example, here's hipster Lincoln. I had never seen him before, but there he is. Whoops. Yeah, right. There he is, right? And there's another one right there, hipster Lincoln with the man bun. Circulating out there somewhere is a picture of me in a cat sweater with a bunch of cats, and it says Merry Christmas. It's not real, people, all right? It's deep fake stuff. But, but yeah, in a serious note, Lincoln understood how to be hated. Let me, let me ask you, do you know how? Do you understand how to be disliked? How to be rejected? Jesus did. Because his love is so pure and absolute, he understood how to be rejected, ridiculed, disliked. And in fact, he talks to us about the fact that that we need to kind of learn that ourselves. One of Lincoln's staunchest adversaries, if you know about him, was a man named Stephen Douglas, competed against him for various elections. And Douglas did not like Lincoln personally, and he made no secret of it. And he viciously attacked him during their debates. And during one particularly famous debate when Douglas shouted to the crowd that Lincoln was a two-faced liar, <laughs> In the shock of that violent sort of uh, rhetoric, Lincoln was heard to say, Sir, if I had two faces, do you think I'd wear this one in public? <laughs> he understood how to handle it when he was rejected, when he was disliked. Do we? How do you handle it when you're rejected? Some of us really struggle with that have a very difficult time being unpopular, disliked, singled out, rejected. I had to learn very early when I became a pastor that part of my calling is to sometimes have to say things that maybe nobody wants to hear. But I also learned that I couldn't say those things uh, if I didn't genuinely love whoever I was talking to. And Jesus wants us to understand it. Listen to what he said, church. Our, our Savior, whose words about our place in the Father's house last week we rejoiced over, also said this. He said, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Wow. 
Why would he say that? Why would he ask that question? Why would that be important for him to say to us? We're going to kind of unpack that a little bit this morning. Sometimes we find ourselves, you know, disliked or rejected because of mistakes we've made or, you know, because of misperceptions people have about us or misunderstandings people have about us. Very often we can find ourselves disliked or rejected because we just didn't live up to somebody else's expectations. That happens. That's why the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. God is saying, I know that sometimes it doesn't depend on you. You may find this hard to believe, but there's people who don't like me. My wife finds it easier to believe. You may struggle to believe that a little bit, but, but yeah, I mean, that's a real thing. Sometimes we're, we're disliked because we've failed or sinned against somebody, and we should let that humble us. But sometimes it's for all kinds of other reasons that have very little to do with things we control. And Jesus said that it is a good thing, that it is a blessed thing, sometimes when we find ourselves rejected. He wants to explore that with us this morning. A willingness to be hated for the right reason, hear me friends, pleases God more than being liked for the wrong ones. Wow, that's kind of grown-up stuff. So let's, let's listen to the fullness of what Jesus said on this subject in Luke chapter 6 for just a moment here. Here's, here's the whole uh, point that the Lord made. He said, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. You know, sometimes there's other reasons why we're rejected and disliked. Sometimes we've sinned against somebody. We need to be humbled by that. But Jesus talked about when you do it because you're, you're standing with him or when you do it because you're saying what he's saying. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets, the, the, the guys and gals who came to tell the truth about God because of his love and grace to Israel in the Old Testament, uh, sometimes, frequently, in fact, they were rejected and ridiculed. And Jesus says, if you're experiencing what they're experiencing, that's a good thing sometimes. And then he says, to, in case we missed the point, he, he sort of flips that, that script and he says, but woe to you when all men speak well of you. For that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. In other words, woe to you when you are all the time popular, when everybody likes you, when there's never any friction between you and the world around you, the people around you. That's, that's challenging because none of us naturally gravitates towards that, or at least very few of us. And Jesus says, I want you to understand this, Greg. I want you to understand the importance of this. You know, the very idea of being disliked or, or maybe hated flies in the face of a lot of popular nonsense about the Christian life. Some people assume that nobody could hate anybody who was a real Christian because they're too nice. But Jesus said that that's silly nonsense. Philip Yancey in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, I highly recommend that book to you, points out that the Jesus most of us believe in could never make people so mad that they formed a mob and called for his murder. But the real one did. 
He upset people so much, Jewish people, temple-going people, God-worshipping people, at least in their own eyes, he upset them so much that they cried out for his murder and, in fact, were willing to set free a convicted criminal who was actually a murderer in order to condemn Jesus. He made them so mad that that's how they reacted. Think about that for a moment. Now, church, please, let's, let's remember that this doesn't mean that being disagreeable is the mark of being a follower of Jesus. That's not the case, all right? Notice what Jesus says. He qualifies it. He says, when you are rejected because of the Son of Man, because you're aligning with what he's saying and where he's going, when that happens, that's a good thing. Blessed are you when you're hated for the right reasons. Sometimes, can we be honest? Churched people give God a bad reputation because they're behaving poorly. Over in Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says to his, his Jewish fellow citizens, to his fellow temple-going Jewish worshipers, he says, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. In other words, people hate God because of the way you behave. People reject God because of the way you talk. Wow, that's intense. And, and Paul wasn't the first person to say that. In that moment, he's actually quoting Isaiah the prophet who had said that to Israel 600 years before. And whenever I read that passage, I'm reminded of what, what our Lord Jesus said in Matthew 23 to a religious crowd. He said, you'll travel over land and sea to win a single convert. You're missions-minded, you're evangelical. But when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Wow. Talk about a rebuke. Talk about a challenge. So Jesus doesn't talk about just being disagreeable in general. He's talking about being disagreed with because you're standing with him for the right reasons. I remember when I was stationed in Iceland many years ago in the service, and a guy from our Marine barracks, he, he went into town, and I was actually part of the group that went with him, but he stayed at a hotel, and we found out later that, that he broke onto the roof of the hotel, climbed up a flagpole, and stole, took a knife, and cut down this giant Icelandic flag that was kind of famous because it was on a tower in a hotel in the center of Reykjavik. He cut it down and stole it, took it home back to his barracks room. And of course, the next morning when the people in the hotel found out that this happened and the investigation eventually led back to him, I remember our, our XO talking to us about, fellas, you represent the United States of America. How do you think people feel about America when they find out that you did that? You've given the country a bad name. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that sometimes happens. That's not what Jesus is talking about here, but sometimes we are supposed to be willing to be unpopular. When soon-to-be President Lincoln advocated freeing the slaves, uh, almost a third of the country began to hate him and reject him and curse him. And they accused him of trying to destroy society, of trying to destroy the nation, of causing a deadly civil war. And many, far more than we'd like to know, accused him of being ungodly because he was setting out to free the slaves. Imagine what that felt like if you were him. I mean, he's just a human being like you and me. What if a third of the country hated you by name? 
That's what Lincoln experienced. That's what he was willing to experience. See, here's a great secret, church. Love, real love, genuine love, knows how to be hated. Every parent grasps this because we're willing to say things maybe our kids don't find welcome or we're willing to insist on things that they don't want because we love them. Love knows how to be hated. And Jesus is telling us that we must accept being hated sometimes. And in fact, it's important that we understand the need. You know, to kind of think about this another way, imagine that that Jesus posted an ad on Craigslist today. It might read something like this. Wanted disciples, looking for quality people to be hated, excluded, insulted, and rejected for a good cause. No pay for now, but I promise you, my check is in the mail. You might get killed. You will be misunderstood, rejected, ridiculed, and shunned. You will lose friends. Call if you're interested. Who would call? (laughs) Right? I mean, but notice what he said. For a good cause. Some of us, Jesus hopes all of us, would call and say, okay, I'm in for that. I'm up for that. I get it. Because if it's necessary for me to be rejected, in order to love, then I'm, I'm willing to do that. Don't misunderstand, friends. In this moment, Jesus isn't just calling for us to argue on the right side of the issues. That's not, that's not all that he's talking about in this moment. Sometimes we think that being right is the same as being good. But there's a difference between those two things. It's one thing to tell your neighbor that their house is on fire because they set off too many fireworks on the 4th of July. It's another thing to help them put out the fire, clean up the mess, and rebuild. And the difference makes all the difference. The difference between being right and being good looks like that. And notice that Jesus also says that it can be dangerous to be well-liked. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. That is how their fathers treated the false prophets. In other words, being popular is dangerous. Because very quickly, we can become addicted to it. And there's not that there's anything wrong with being well-liked unless you're more concerned about that than more important things. Our ambition as followers of Jesus isn't to be well-liked. We are part of a revolution. Not a revolution against earthly powers because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's a revolt against the slavery caused by sin. You know, it's another American president who said, I'd rather fail in a cause that will ultimately succeed than succeed in a cause that will ultimately fail. The irony of that is the President Woodrow Wilson who said that was a renowned racist. So he was blind to the very thing he was affirming. So Jesus says this to us. We must ask ourselves, when and why ought we be willing to be unpopular? or or even hated? And the answer is that whenever God's liberating truth is at stake, we're called to say that. We're called to be different. We're called to swim upstream in the opposite direction of public acclaim. Jesus put it this way. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we must care enough about other people to tell the truth sometimes when it's not welcome, when Nobody wants to hear it. In fact, when they hate us for saying it. 
I remember a time many years ago when I was asked to be part of, a, of an intervention in a family that was wrestling with the drug and alcohol addiction of a, uh, of a spouse in that family. And so these folks asked me if I would be willing to lead an intervention for, for this man. And, and I said, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's actually happened to me a few times. And on this occasion, knowing what was coming, I, I met with each of the people who were concerned and involved. And I said, okay, now when we meet that day, I said, you can't chicken out. You can't back off. You can't run. You've got to be able to tell that person what you're telling me, what you see, what you're feeling. You've got to be willing to be part of this. Because if you're not, then he won't hear what you want him to hear. So despite the fact that I went to every single person in the group when we sat down that day, guess what happened? Everybody chickened out. And I was left the only one trying to lead an intervention of people unwilling to say what I know they felt and believed. And of course, the sad end of that story is that the whole thing blew up and, and relationships were broken and marriage died and it goes to this day. Why? It could have been different if love had been willing to say what was unwelcome and unpopular in that moment. And church, here's the thing. Jesus has called you and me to care that much, enough that we would be willing to say the truth, even when it's unpopular. You know, Jesus experienced this personally again and again and again. There were a number of times when people rejected him and turned away from him. In fact, even his disciples in John chapter 6, the Bible says that because he was saying some tough stuff, from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Wow. These were disciples. These were people who had committed themselves to following, but then he said stuff that was tough and hard. And they turned back. So he knows what he's calling us to. The question is, do we understand why it's so important? So over these next few weeks, we're going to talk about some issues in which we are called to swim the opposite direction of most in our culture. And just to give you kind of a thumbnail about what that's about, I want to take these last 10 minutes or so and give you an example of what I'm talking about. Let's consider one of these kinds of issues. And, and that's the issue of homosexuality. Simply put, God says it's wrong. God says it's a sin. Like many other sins, like sexual immorality of, of a less unusual way, like lying, like rage, like hate, like a million other things. It is one sin among many, but it is in fact, God says, a sin. And most of our culture doesn't want to hear that. But we, for love's sake, are called to say that. Now, Let's take a moment here. Every thinking and caring person wonders where homosexuality comes from. And God actually tells us what the root of it is so that we can understand that. So let's take just a moment and grasp that. Over in Romans chapter 1, God says that this kind of immorality grows out of a refusal to acknowledge and worship God. Here's how the Bible puts it. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Although they knew God, everybody knows God is there. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. They just ignored him. They just put him out of their attention. But and as a result, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay? In other words, their thinking became confused. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts for the degrading of their bodies with one another. God gave them over to shameful lusts. 
Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones in the same way the men abandoned natural relations with women were inflamed with lust for one another. It's not a big secret. It's not a big mystery. It's not a mystical affliction. It's garden variety sinful nature. When we pretend God isn't there and we don't give thanks to him, then our thinking gets confused. We draw mistaken conclusions. <laughs> Whenever I think about this, I remember when our son was about six years old, he got in trouble needed to be disciplined. And, and so this was kind of a, a little more serious thing. And so we said, son, you, you've just forfeited your allowance for the next two weeks. You're not going to get your allowance. Now, he had gotten used to his allowance. And I'll never forget standing in the kitchen, and he looked at us, and he said, what? You can't do that. You owe me my allowance. I remember mom and I going, whoa, Nellie, where did your thinking get confused? You know, we give you an allowance to teach you how to begin to, to relate to money. And he had forgotten that. He had begun to see it as an entitlement. The same kind of thing happens, and it is the root of homosexuality. I know there's lots of other threads that make up this picture. There's the hurt that sometimes comes from abuse. It's profoundly real. There's also the, the cultural gender confusion that we practice on a regular basis. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Fellas, macho isn't masculine. We, we say to ourselves, the definition of macho is I have a pickup, a beard, and I shoot animals. No, it's not. You know, that's, that's great, but that's not masculinity. Definition of manhood is when you love football. No, it's not. Soccer's way better. I mean, it is just, right? No, but I'm kidding. But seriously, we have these stereotypes, and we, we do the same thing to the ladies. We say to ladies, you know, if you're seductive and sexy and if you can in gain influence by using those tools, that's femininity. We talk about feminine wiles. That's not femininity. That's a cheap substitute. And God says you are called to much more than these dumb definitions. When we propagate these definitions, what we do is create gender confusion because somebody doesn't like football or, or a girl doesn't like hairdressing. And so we begin to say, well, something must be wrong with you. And that gender confusion is a powerful thing. Because then people look in the mirror and they say, what's wrong with me? God says, no, no, no. Put that stuff away. We are more than gender. You know, I don't have time to get into this today in any depth. But Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 20, when we go to heaven, there will be neither marrying nor given in marriage, for we will be like the angels. What does that mean? Well, talk about that some other day. But the Bible says that we are all sons of God in Christ Jesus, Romans, or Galatians chapter 3, verse 20. What it's saying is that we have the rights that were only available to men, male heirs in that culture at that time. It's saying that we're all made in God's image, and we are people even before we are gender. So if a young lady wants to be a fighter pilot, it doesn't make her less feminine. If a guy wants to arrange flowers, it doesn't make him less masculine. And we need to understand that and grasp that. We don't joke about these things. Shame on you if you joke about these things. We create gender confusion in that way. Here, here's how Jesus feels about people who struggle with homosexual feelings. You want to know how he feels? Your Bible tells you. Over in Hebrews, the scripture says this, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin. In other words, he sympathizes with our struggles. He feels for us. When we stigmatize certain kinds of struggles and say that's weird and unusual and you got a problem, we are contradicting God. 
who says he understands that we all struggle with stuff. And he sympathizes with our struggle. And he knows the way out. He knows the way through. We wouldn't say to somebody who had a bad temper, I affirm your bad temper because it's your right to just be ornery and violent. We would never say that. Instead, we say, okay, something's wrong here. God, please help me in this struggle. And that's how Jesus feels about this. And so the Bible says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Yeah, that's how God feels. Listen, church, maybe most deeply, this particular struggle comes from despair. People fear that their impulses define them and can't be changed. But God actually says that our sexuality can be learned and it can be unlearned. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The scripture says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Talking to all of us that you should avoid sexual immorality of all kinds, that each of you should learn to control his own body, her own body, in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who don't know God. In other words, good news. You say, I struggle with these feelings and I don't want them. God says, I can teach you how to overcome those, how to put those aside. In the same way that we learn how to overcome our temper or our tendency to lie or any of a host of other sins. We may pray, God, I never want to feel angry. Good luck with that. But we all pray, God, help me with my temper. And the same principle applies here. Finally, the last thing. God says that lust brings slavery. The Bible says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. Sexual sin is against his body. In other words, it affects us in, a, in an imminent and direct way. When Lincoln called for an end to slavery, church, let's understand, it was because he understood that slavery is not only bad for the slave, it's bad for the slave owner. And so he said, I'm willing to be hated by a third of the country if it means setting free people who I know are in slavery, whether it's because somebody owns them or whether it's because they're trying to own somebody else. And so he said, I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to speak the truth. Listen, here's what we, the church, the people of God, need to be saying today. If you struggle with homosexuality, we will, lock, we will walk with you. We will walk alongside you. We will walk beside you. We will be friends with you. We will build relationship with you. And together, we'll figure out how to overcome this, no matter how long it takes. We don't need to march in mobs in order to impose our will. We're not the Taliban. We would rather get to know you like Jesus did. And we would humbly speak the truth in love, even when it's not popular, because we love enough to do that, because we know that our Lord has called us to that. Church, what does all this mean practically? Well, let me share two short stories with you and then we'll wrap up this morning. But in a nutshell, it means that we're willing to speak the truth in love even when it's not popular or welcome. And we live to earn the respect and credibility that helps people hear us when we say something that's unpopular. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, live such good lives among the pagans. Pagans means people who don't know God. Live such good lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. 
You know, sometimes we think that's impossible. I can't do it. That's too hard. The culture is too much against us. It's too hostile. Well, fear is the great barrier to being able to do this. And it can be done. I speak from much experience. Let me just share one example. Some years ago, 10, 12 years ago, roughly somewhere in there, I was called by someone who said, uh, Pastor Greg, I've come to, to MRCC a couple of times and nobody in my family has a church, but uh, my grandmother just died and we need someone to do a memorial service. Would you be willing to do that for us? Well, of course I would be willing to serve you in that way. She says, well, my family has some concerns and questions. And so w would you meet with us to talk about it? Absolutely, of course I'll do that. My favorite place is having questions asked. So I drove to their house and nice house. When I walked into the place, I was surprised to find that the family room was prepared for me. And here's how it was prepared. There was one chair in the center of the room <laughs> and there was a circle of about 25 chairs all around it. And all of the extended family was sitting there. Here's your chair, Pastor Greg. Would you say, ah, the firing squad, what is it, you know? I said, absolutely, you bet, because, you know, I'm not afraid of people. I love them. So I sat down, and, and then the first people they introduced to me was the, the son of the woman who had died, her oldest son, and his husband. The two of them had been married for over 30 years. And then we met various other people around the group, and then they said, we'd like to ask you some questions. I said, absolutely. Of course, it didn't take very long for us to get to the question of this son and his husband. Well, Pastor Greg, how do you feel about homosexuality? Now, in a moment like that, there's a million things you can do wrong. But you won't do any of them if you love people. And so I said, friends, I have to tell you, I have to be transparent and honest. God says that's not his plan for you, that that's a mistake. Lots of people make that mistake. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. It doesn't mean that I won't love you. But the Bible is very clear about this and says that, that that's a mistake and that God would call you to grow out of it. Of course, that led to a dialogue. We talked for quite a bit. Then we moved on to some other issues. And I thought, for sure, they don't want me to do the memorial. But that son and his husband came to me immediately after we were done and shook my hand and said, yes, we'd like you to do our mother's memorial service. And the relationship continued to go on for some years from that point till they moved away. And each and every time we talked, I said, hey, I get what you're saying, but listen, I'm telling you, there's a different way that God has for you. I'm here to help you with that. I'm here to walk with you in that whenever you're willing. Church, we can do this. The key is we have to love the people we're talking to. Love them enough to tell the truth and yet still be open to relationship, to friendship. Matter of fact, that's exactly what Jesus did. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 9 that Jesus met with, in those days, the phrase was tax collectors and sinners, people on the wrong side of the tracks on issues like this. The Bible says that he went and ate with them and that there were a lot of people who were confused and blown away by that. And so they said, Matthew chapter 9, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, because they thought, well, if you're eating with them, you're affirming that nonsense. Jesus said on hearing this, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. 
For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. If the doctor went around treating only healthy people, we'd call her a quack. <laughs> but a doctor who's willing to work with the sick, that's what we all hope for. That's what we all want. That's what Jesus did. There were those who said, you're just affirming their sin. He said, shut up. He said, go and learn what this means. You think that what I'm asking from you is sacrifice, but I'm actually going to do the sacrificing for you. What I'm asking from you is your mercy. What I'm asking from you is that you care about people enough to build relationships so that when you say something different than what the world is saying, you have enough credibility to be heard. That's what Jesus was doing. And that's what he calls us to do. Why? Because being hated is sometimes how we set somebody free. Let me, let me share one last story with you and we'll wrap up. A moment that lives in my memory is probably the moment I was most proud of a church that I was privileged to lead. Bummer, I'm not going to talk about MRCC, so we're going to have to get over that, but... I was pastoring in a college town, Moscow, Idaho, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And we were having a Wednesday night Bible study. There was 50, 60 of us, you know, a lot of students. And we were having a, our normal Wednesday night Bible study. And as we got started, a man walked in just a couple minutes late, sat in the very back row, maybe 30. I said, hey, does anybody have prayer requests? What, what we, can we pray for you about something? And a couple people raised their hand, and then he raised his. I said, yes, sir. You know, what can we pray for you? And he stood up and he said, well, um, my name's Colton. I grew up here in Moscow. I've been gone for about 10 years. And I just moved back home this week. Uh, I came back home to move into my parents' basement because I have AIDS. And I'm dying. They tell me I have about six months left. And, and I got AIDS because of the lifestyle I was living. I was involved in a big city and with other men. He said, it's my fault, and now I have this disease that's going to take my life. Would you pray for me? Oh, yes, absolutely, we'll pray for you. So we did. This was the height of all that hysteria. Don't want to be around somebody, and so on. I will never forget when our Bible study closed, and I said, hey, everybody, you're dismissed. At least a dozen people went straight to Colton that night. He was invited out to dinner that night by one family. He was invited over for lunch the next Sunday by another family. Another family took him to Walmart and bought all his, his kitchenware, his household kitchenware, so he could move into his parents' basement. Another family said, hey, give me a call this week. We'll take you out and get you some clothes since you're just moving back to town and you don't have a lot of stuff. That church surrounded him with Jesus. After about four months of coming to our little church, Colton got too sick to be able to do that. A couple of months after that, he passed away from AIDS. But he passed away in the love and grace of Jesus because people cared enough to reach out to him, not agreeing with his sin, but telling him the truth and then walking with him through it. This is what Jesus calls us to, and this is why he says, Greg, are you willing to be unpopular? Are you willing to say things? that not everybody's going to agree with? Are you willing to be hated? 
You're willing to pay that price. Lincoln was. Jesus was. Are you? And this morning, the Holy Spirit says the same thing to us. So I want to give you a challenge, and then we're going to pray. Here's my challenge. There's somebody that you work with, somebody you go to school with, maybe somebody in your family who's living the LGBTQ lifestyle. I want to invite you to reach out and build a relationship. Invite them to lunch. Invite them to your house. Get to know them as a person. Build, just like Jesus did. Build the relationship that allows you when the time comes, when the Spirit leads, to talk about what's really going on in their hearts. Live such good lives that they see your good deeds. Go and learn what this means. It's not the healthy you need a doctor, it's the sick. Go and give mercy because that's what I've come to make available. Would you dare to be willing to do that? Jesus invites us to. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we thank you this morning for your word. Jesus, we thank you for your example. And we pray, God, that you would open our eyes to see people the way you do, to see people the way you do, to love them no matter what their struggle is, to draw near to them, in the hopes of being able to speak life to them. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just say this. If you're somebody who struggles with homosexuality, I'll be your friend. My door's open. I would love to talk with you, pray with you, walk with you. I'm here and always will be for you. But even more than me, God is here for you. Jesus is present for you. He loves you. He understands your struggle. He sympathizes with it. And he will walk with you through it. God, we thank you for your love, for your grace. Send us from here inspired by it. And opening our lives to others. We pray for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Yeah. A bunch of people asked me about the shoulder. I'm back to a two-handed benediction this morning. So now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love him. Have a great afternoon.